Just before we get into this week's episode, I just want to apologise for any barking, whining or crying you might hear in the background. My dog was having a bit of a tantrum when we recorded this, so apologies to Kate, but that's what it is. This week on Off the Shelf, my guest is Kate Sawyer. Kate worked as an actor and producer before turning her hand to fiction. She's previously written for theatre and short film. She lived in South London for the best part of two decades, where she's recently returned to East Anglia to have her first child as a solo mother by choice. The Stranding is her first novel. So welcome to the show, Kate. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me, Phoebe. You're Um, very welcome. You're very welcome, of course. And before we start recording, I was just telling you that I've got your debut novel. Is it your debut novel? It is my debut novel. Yeah, your debut novel next to me, The Stranding. Everyone's probably familiar with it because there's a massive whale on the cover. And I remember first seeing it on Instagram and I was like, is this like a book about Jonah, as in Jonah and the whale from the Bible? But no, it's definitely not about Jonah the whale. (laughs) He does get a mention, though. He does get a mention. I I haven't got there yet. I'm not... um, I'm where would I say I'm probably about two thirds of the way through but I have to say and without giving any spoilers to people that haven't read it the central character I really don't like her at the moment I don't know if she gets more more amenable as you go through but right now I'm like I wouldn't want to be friends with you yeah uh that um that is the general feedback um which I'm really pleased about because I tried deliberate yeah I tried to give her as many things about her personality that generally people would say is an unlikable trait like so not the sort of worst thing you could do because obviously yeah I mean it's not a spoiler to say she isn't a murderer but um she has some she has some moral questionable moral decisions that she makes and so yeah it's quite interesting I I had a book club um that I went to I visited, dropped in last night, and that was the general feedback. But I was pleased also that by the end of the novel, the majority, nearly everyone, I think everyone actually said that they liked her. So it just goes to show that people are what they do and not who they are, really. You know, that, that, no, that, 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 that what we are isn't immutable, um, that we can make better decisions and change who we are. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I do see what you mean. And like I said, I'm only two thirds of the way through, so I could completely yeah. change my mind by the end. But, and again, not to give spoilers, the concept of the book is quite unique. So how did you come up with the concept? Um, I just had the idea, <laughs> which is just so annoying, isn't it? Um, I suppose I've always been interested in duality. I'm really... I was even thinking about when I did my A-levels and I wrote a play for fifth studies and it was about two decision, a decision that a character made and how then their lives split and went in different directions. And I think a lot of authors are interested in this about where, um, yeah, com- contrast and comparison. And for me, there were other things I wanted to talk about, like 
um, the privileges that we have, but also the joys that we have in modern life because we can moan about it. Um, we can not recognize how lucky we are in, you know, this isn't true for everybody, but a lot of us have a lot of creature comforts that other people in the world currently do not have um, living in the UK. And um, I wanted to talk about that a bit, but without, and that's what the end of the world scenario gives me an opportunity to put this woman, Ruth, a woman in her thirties that is living a relatively normal life. I mean, there are things about it that some people won't um, connect with, but to put her in a position where she has to sort of start again and reflect on the way that she has lived. And that's what this dual narrative allows, I suppose, yeah. No, that makes sense. And actually you just made me think of, so I had my lunch before we started recording. And you're right, I was, I can't remember what I was going to have, but I ended up having soup and I was a bit disappointed with my soup. But actually, that's quite a good place to be in because I didn't even have to think of, there is no food in the cupboard or, or, you know, I don't have the money to afford food in the cupboard or things like that. So, yeah, no, I completely see what you mean. And before you wrote this book, you did many, I was reading about you, you've done many, many things, very accomplished. <laughs> Uh, so I don't were... know about accomplished, <laughs> definitely a diverse uh, portfolio career, but uh, accomplished is possibly pushing it. <laughs> <laughs> so before this, you were an actress and um, you founded your own theatre company. Do you think The Stranding will become a play or a film? Well, you know, I have hopes I mean, that if, it if might. Reese, if Reese Witherspoon is listening, then you're available. Yeah, like, hi! Um, <laughs> no, the, the rights are still available, but there has been interest in them. And uh, it would be an absolute dream come true to see this story on the screen. Um, because I as I love fiction. I am a, I mean, I'm, I've always been a voracious reader, but I also have a very visual, like, mind and... Um, I have made film as well, short film, and the opportunity to, you know, translate this novel into uh, something either on stage or or um, on film would be a, just an absolute dream. <laughs> so, fingers crossed. Let's see. Yeah, fingers crossed. I have to say, I, I was I was actually thinking about it as I read it. I think it's a film. I think it's a film I would watch, but it's one of those ones where I could see it being um, a series in that Ruth's story is kind of like the underlying, but there's lots of other characters that pop up. So again, it's not a spoiler to say that she meets a man um, when the world just ends, I suppose you'd call it, um, a, a man called yeah. Nick. And I think like his characters could be built on. You could, yeah, in my head, I was picturing a bit like zombie apocalypse Netflix series, but okay. not really. You see where I'm going with that? Yeah, I, I think that might partly be because I am, um, one of the things that I really, I'm really interested in all of the characters and I could probably write a book for each character. <laughs> like it's very character driven, my writing anyway. And currently what I'm writing on is very character driven, lots of characters coming together, what which is also in The Stranding. Are there any whales in the, in the new book? No, <laughs> there might be, but it will probably be, you know, on someone's dress or something like that. That could you know, be your motif. Netflix. Every book has a whale in. 
yeah but that's a really good idea actually Phoebe. I'm, gonna, I'm going to nick that and put that in the book um yeah the the motive of the whale was the first thing that came actually the idea of the a family living in a whale boned like a hut made out of whale bones in the post a post-apocalyptic world and then nick and ruth came and then two other characters came that you haven't got to yet. So we Ooh, will. Exciting. Yeah. <laughs> so not to give spoilers. But so I, I had this image of that. And then I went all the way. I, I ruminated on it for a long time. And then I started writing the story from the beginning because I was most interested in like how Ruth got there, which is why the story happened yeah. at all. That's true. I suppose on one reading the world and the world the apocalypse situation could be the end of the story but on another reading that's just the start of the story is what happens after that yeah I see yeah. that mm, how interesting okay so on to the reason why you're here today to talk about your top five book picks and I have to say I haven't you haven't shared them with me in advance so this is a learning curve for me as well so please tell us about the first book you've chosen and why you've chosen it um so my first book well I'm just looking at my shelf now but I haven't actually got uh, a copy of my favourite book, <laughs> <laughs> which is because I've lent it. And this is actually true, generally true of any book that I love. I give it to people because I want them to experience how much I've loved it. So then I would buy another copy and I'd give it away again. So I would say one of my top, top books, which I don't own, is Behind the Scenes at the Museum by Kate Atkinson. So now, Kate Atkinson, I'm sure everyone will have heard of her, very prolific woman, very well-known author, but I haven't heard of yeah. this specific book, so tell us about it. Well, I, I'm not sure if it's her first novel. I think it is. It, it's about a character called Ruby Lennox, and I suppose you might realise why I'm so into it following our discussion. It charts her life from basically birth, from her first memory of lying in a in a uh, crib um, mm. and it is character driven it is a state of the nation novel so in the background what happens in the UK hums along in the background um, yeah so I would uh, it, she is not a nice character so that's another thing that we've just discussed um, so is so it sounds, do you, I mean, do you like not nice characters in, in what you're currently working on? Are there some, some flawed characters? Yeah, I'm, to be honest, I'm only interested in seriously flawed characters mm. because I just think that even if we are not obviously flawed, we're always working to, um, well, I think most people are either working to try and resolve things that they think are flaws or they aren't aware of their flaws and they are exhibited. <laughs> um, yeah, I see. Mm. And therefore, that's really interesting that people are happy to exhibit these flaws and not worried about what other people think of them. I, I just think those are that's one of the main things that I'm really interested about uh, humans. Um but I, what I also love about this book, I mean, Kate Atkinson's prose is beautiful. And of course, uh, Life After Life has got a lot of, um, it's about to be made into a TV series for the BBC. And so that's her novel 
that I think was about 10 years ago now, maybe eight years ago. I'd um, say Kate Atkinson, she is an author that comes up again and again on this podcast. You're not oh, the first really? person that's chosen the Kate Atkinson book. Yeah, so I just think, because she writes brilliantly, all of her stories are quite um, unique. They're very character focused. They, they often have a lot of the world, uh, Second World War in them, probably because that is, so they are historical to a certain extent. Mm. Um, but it, only in the way that they are talking about the history of the UK, but they, they don't feel old fashioned or yeah, yeah. anything like that. Um, yeah. So that's my number one. <laughs> well, like, like I said, Kate Atkinson comes up a lot on this podcast. You're not the first person to choose her. And really curiously, people that do choose her always, always comment on how well her characters are written how well how her books are are character character driven so how interesting okay so tell us about the second book you've chosen and why you've chosen it so the second book is Nights at the Circus by Angela Carter Um, another author I've heard of but I don't (laughs) think I've ever read any of her work so okay well I (laughs) came to up here no uh, you know what Angela Carter I came to because I've always said I'm a voracious reader I read 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 and um someone said oh I bet you love Angela Carter I reckon I was in my mid-20s and I was like who (laughs) and I was so ashamed of myself when I sort of like looked into it because she lived down the road from where I was living I was living in Brixton at the time like she was she was so um her work is so feminist and entrenched in um folk tales so she works a lot with fairy stories and folk tales but Nights of the Circus is is a historical novel Mm -hmm. it is about uh a circus artist called Feathers who lives in a den of iniquity in Victorian London, Um, but she performs, she has wings. And the story is of a young journalist who is trying to uncover her as a scam artist. Um, Oh, okay. And so it's sort of, it's not sort of, it is about the feminine mystique and how men want to try and get prove that it's not real and mm-hmm. but it's also got this um beautiful I mean her, her prose is in, it's incredible it's so evocative and yeah. it's sort of quite um visceral like dirty it starts with Feather's dressing room I mean it, it, I think the opening scene is one of my favorites she's like she's eating and he's like seeing the saliva around her mouth and his image of her is sort of like he's sort of entranced by the fact that she's beautiful but also disgusting <laughs> so I feel like feathers is too good for him you know but no that's, yeah. that's fascinating well, 100%. So I, <laughs> yeah so I'm I'm recording this and I've just shown Angela and people who follow my Instagram we're very familiar with the fact that my parents were very cute puppy I'm currently puppy sitting, but normally I don't live here. I also live near Brixton, so maybe she's an author that I need to need to investigate as well. Yeah, because I mean, her, when that's my favourite of her novels, but it is a bit of a hard thing to choose because she's written some brilliant short stories. Even her radio plays, one um, that I 
actually brought to stage when I was in my late 20s, which is called Vampirella. And that's mm -hmm. a, like an inversion of the vampire story. And this is like this young virg virginal vampire that lures a, a young British virgin male <laughs> into, uh, into the castle. I would so definitely just, watch that, you know. I would watch yeah, that. Yeah, she's always playing with like concepts of, like uh, concepts of gender of mm. of power dynamics she also wrote a brilliant um uh book about uh like a wise sister uh, wise children which is about two sisters that um are again theater artists but in mm. in brixton and so if you live near brixton that is one you should read because it they're based on real theatres that were, it was a big theatre district, Brixton. Really? I didn't know it, that. Yeah, I back in the think. day. It had, no. it had more theatres than the West End. I mean, of course, some of them were like, they were vaudeville theatres. Mm. They weren't like showing Shakespeare and stuff, but I think it's fascinating. And now I don't think it's got one. <laughs> so I can only really think of people who are familiar with Brixton will know on the, uh, where the tube station is, I think it's the high street. There's like a big cinema, but other than that, I can't think of anywhere that, that shows the them. There was one in the crypt for a short period of time, but uh, I, I think that's it was a part of a um, part of a nightclub as well. You know that they had you know to clear I actually, think, to I actually think I've been to that nightclub. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Obviously, pre-COVID times, just to be clear. Um, yeah, but there were brilliant. Oh, I think it's called um, Gremio now. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> there are brilliant. There are brilliant theatres nearby in Oval, and there's one in the Arch three six four. I think it is three six eight. Uh, just by um, Loughborough Junction. So there are theatres, but not as many as they used to be. Yeah. Uh, well, that's an impromptu history lesson. How interesting. <laughs> okay, so tell us about the third book you've chosen and why you've chosen it. Um, it's the Time Traveller's Wife by. Oh Audrey no! I hope everyone's prepared to cry because it's. <laughs> I'm doing a chef's kiss for people that, that can't see this, the book, and then there's also a lovely film, and I love them both. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's escapism, it's escapism isn't it? It's a, the leap of faith. I mean, I suppose all of these books that I've mentioned so far require you to assert they aren't complete yeah. reality, mm. and that's something that I really like, and obviously is already, that's in my book, because <laughs> in The Stranding, a woman <laughs> survives the end of the world inside a whale. So, you mm. know but they are rooted in reality. And I think yeah. that for me is um, really important. And it's romantic. I love a love story. I love a flawed love story as mm. well, where it doesn't quite, you know, that, that maybe there are some things that are a bit off about it, but it, it, it works anyway. Yeah. yeah. And I love the way they play with time as well. Uh, mm. I love, for some reason, you piece together this story in the same way that you can sort of imagine him experiencing time. Yeah, and, no, I agree. Mm. And that really heightens the story. I mean, you know, some people might say, well, it's just been chopped up and put together in a random order, but the way that it has been yeah. done so makes the book so much more powerful, I think. And it's just one of those books that I can read again and again, and again. <laughs> well, I've got two questions about that. So let's start with the easy one. So first question, do you prefer the book or the film? This was made into a very famous film. I can't remember when it was a while back now. And Rachel McAdams plays um, the wife. And I can't remember who plays the time traveller. Um, it's, um, 
it's uh but did, eric did banner the... it's eric yeah. banner isn't it i don't know i think so i, I watched it, it a long time ago it's quite an old film um even yeah. now so yeah do you prefer the film or the book the book but do you I think did the, like film the film does it justice yeah i think as far as a lot of these things as far as films generally go i think it does i think yeah. it um interesting yeah. and then my second question was uh to do with uh, dual narrative so you as you said the stranding has a dual narrative and the time traveler is set um not chronologically as it were so when you were writing the stranding did you write two separate stories and then smush them together or was it always did you write one wrote, present day one past and then flip backs and forwards yeah I did for most of it but it got I got halfway through writing the book and I realized that what I wanted to do um so each chapter does reflect the other one so what mm. so whatever she's experiencing before is somehow reflected after and there are also a few little things that are dropped in like if she's wearing a if Nick's wearing a worn out old yellow coat on the mm. beach after she'll be going somewhere and it will just be mentioned that she's wearing a yellow raincoat mm. I, I like sort of like it's sort of like those Usborne books where you used to spot the duck you know when you I think that's very I think that's very interesting I think in in the written word sometimes that can be a bit that can maybe be lost but if you were watching it on a film that's the kind of visual cue that you you would pick up on without maybe realize not you know realizing you're doing it that's yeah. so interesting oh so yeah. I, I, so yeah, I, I was saying so your I Easter egg should be whales, but maybe it should be yellow coats. <laughs> yeah. I think that you, I think it's easier to see that if you've got one half. So what I did was I wrote, I wrote um, alternate chapters as it is in the book. And then when I got just over halfway through, I sped forward with the first half, which allowed me to go uh, in with the before. And that allowed me to go back to the beginning of the after and make sure that I was weaving through the narrative exactly those details that I wanted to but yeah for the most part it was written as it's read yeah. and certainly it was edited as it's read apart from right at the end I took it all apart and checked that it worked chronologically because that's really important for me as well and I, I mean Audrey Niffenegger had a harder <laughs> A much harder um, task than I had because I only have the two narratives. Hers works across decades, doesn't it? So mm, that's true. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that's that's something that really fascinates me about books with with multiple timelines, be they concurrent or. And did you ever have a? It sounds like not because it sounds like it came to you before, after, before, after. Um, but did you ever kind of contemplate having it split into two halves and having a before half and an after half which they were always entwined in your head of course when you're writing a book you have these moments of panic <laughs> that is this the right way to tell this story um but it always felt like this was the right way yeah. to do it I suppose there was a moment where I thought why am I doing it like this but I have but all the justification is there. The point is, it's about contrast and comparison. It's not a linear apocalypse book. It's not about the apocalypse. It just happens mm. to have an apocalypse in it <laughs> as a as a no, defining I, moment. Having having starting 
to read it. I completely understand what you mean. It, it, there is an apocalypse, but that's not really what you're supposed to be taking away from the book. I, yeah, I completely see what you mean. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay, so moving on to the fourth book you've chosen and why you've chosen it. So the fourth book I've chosen is another dual narrative book. And I think- Well, actually, I think we're noticing a pattern. <laughs> I have to say, I've realised that they both are, in a way, the next two books. Anyway, so the, the, the next one is um, Captain Corelli's Mandolin. Oh, again, another great book and another great film. And I have to say, this book slash film and Time Traveller's Wife book slash film, shout out to my mum because they are some of her favourites and she recommended them to me. I really... Yeah. They, they, were, they, they were around... Were they around around the same time? No, Captain Corelli's Mandolin was probably slightly... Uh, yeah, I think it's a slightly older, older book. I'm just going to grab it. Do you mind? One sec. No, feel free. Just because I just think it's quite funny because it's so battered. <laughs> like this is this is a loved book. Um, it is a loved book. I've actually never again. I so Try and Travel's Wife. I saw the film and then only read the book recently. And Captain Crowley's Mandolin. I've seen the film. I don't actually think I've ever read the book. Maybe I need to. Uh there's. There's so many, yeah, I think you do need to read it because mm. the, the film is good. It is, and it's a pretty, um, it's a pretty true adaptation. Yeah. And I think there's nice performances in it. But what you miss is some of the tension in the love story, which for me is... Is what makes it. But, well, it's because it's contrast against the war scenes that mm. make it so um, heart-rending. Yeah. But it's just like, so the chapters that really is the problem with ha the problem with eyes, the problem with hands, the problem with mouths. Um, so it's, and you already know what sort of happens in those novels, yeah. th those chapters. And when you see that, you're like, oh, they're going to touch hands, you know. Um, <laughs> and you've just been reading about someone hiding in the forest and someone you know mm. people being shot and so it's just this contrast of light and dark and um hope contrast you know uh, uh, and also uh, the thin mm. hope as well the knowledge that it, it it's unlikely to be a happy ending mm. is something that I love so yeah <laughs> well yeah no I, I, yeah I, I get it I get it but going back to the dual narrative so I always found an issue with dual narrative novels did you so you said before you always wrote before after before after they must be so hard to plan did you have a big I mean were you like do you have a big whiteboard did you plan in a spreadsheet how did you make sure that it it worked Again, I wrote backwards and forwards and didn't really have a plan to start mm -hmm. off with. Okay. And then again, around halfway through, I needed, I, I realised that my mind map <laughs> wasn't mm -hmm. going to cut it and I needed to sort of work out how they slotted in. But really, so I, I had a Excel sheet. I do like, I do like a bit of Excel. Yeah, just I've heard that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it can help you like track word counts and stuff as well and keep character details and stuff. Um, but it was really, that came into its own in the edit more than it did in the initial drafting process mm. because then I, I did keep a lot of it in my mind. Um, 
because things had to move around and it just felt like I was doing a jigsaw puzzle yeah and um, in terms of in terms of moving around when you wrote did you write I mean you probably didn't write longhand I don't think many people do anymore but did you write on a um uh, you know on a word processor did you type it or did you use you hear like of software specifically yeah, writing I, where you can type in and move things around how did you do it yeah I haven't committed to Scrivener because I haven't felt the need to. I use I use Google Docs and have done mm. since the beginning, partly for the reason that it keeps all of your versions. Ah, so, so you so if you want to undo something, it's fairly yeah. You can, you can literally go back and say, uh, you know, two forty five on Tuesday. I'm just going to revert to this version. Or... That's so interesting. So long-term listeners will know that my day job is legal and we always work in Google Docs because like you said, you can track changes, you can do suggestion mode. There's all these features. So, I mean, it's mind-blowing that I haven't thought of this before. Yeah. Um, and there's new features. There's a new feature that I saw the other day, which is you can compare documents. I mean, I'm not really on a sales drive for for Google here like you know they're not one of the one of the people I particularly want to champion but um that is well, quite these are useful uh tools that help yeah. <laughs> so moving on to the fifth book you've chosen and why you've chosen it again another dual narrative yeah well I have to say it was really hard for this one because I had to I had to respect my uh love of a saga and so there were several contenders. Um, I'm going to tell you what the other contenders were before I tell you the first one. So it was so it was Gone with the Wind is is a saga that I just absolutely got swept away with when I read it. But it has got it has its, it's problems. It's prob it's seriously problematic. The author was seriously problematic. It is completely of its time and is really a his, historical piece in, the, in, in and, and should stay in history, really. Gone with the Wind, the film, I only saw two or so years ago now. And I watched it and the whole time I'm thinking, this is very, very offensive. But yeah, I kind of, I Googled it and I didn't even know it was based on a book until after I Googled it, because it's one of the like most highest grossing films of all time. Yeah. Everyone knows, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Like it's yeah. very, very famous. I mean, the book, is so it's got loads of issues with it but it is it is something else when it comes to saga I mean it just covers years and years of some of the darkest part of American history um but with this incredible antagonistic love story in it anyway so there's that one the other one was uh 100 years of solitude because um a similar thing this long long family saga but my dual narrative book that I've chosen for number five, the one that I'd have to, you know, that I would want to read again and again is Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy. Ooh, now that is a big statement. I have tried and tried with Russian literature and I just can't do it. War and Peace, I could not. And I pride myself on someone that likes to finish a book once I've started. But oh, my God, it was awful. <laughs> just I don't know. Really? Where like, I really struggle with it. Did you watch yeah. the TV? Did you watch the BBC adaptation uh, of War and Peace? Yes, and I've also seen the Kira Knightley film of Anna Karenina, which sometimes yes. I find help with um, classical literature because if you've seen the TV, you kind of know broadly what's 
what's going to happen. So if you find the prose a bit difficult, you know yeah. the gist is so-and-so fancy so-and-so and at some point they get together kind of thing. Yes, but um, I suppose I, 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 I think it was... Now, this year, everybody's been talking about sorrow and bliss and sort of rightly so, I think it's got so much to offer with regard to talking about how it feels to be um, someone suffering with mental illness, depression, although it's never um, discussed. But the thing about Anna Karenina is, is it was that is what the book is about. It's about a depressed woman trying mm. to find happiness outside of herself <laughs> and really succeeding. That ties into what you said about when you, I mean, I've only seen the film, but even in the film, it got to the point where I was like, this is not going to end well. Yeah, I really like that. That's why I like Thomas Hardy as well. I really like it where you know it's not going to end well, but you have to see why. And there's something almost painful about yeah. it. I don't know, you know, maybe what that says about me, but I like to see how a story unravels um, rather than, I suppose it's maybe why my book starts in the middle of the story as well. Yeah, it does. It does start in the middle. Yeah. It's, it's weird. Yeah. It starts in the middle and it kind of works backwards and forwards at the same yeah. time. Yeah. I see that. Um, and the other, and this dual narrative in Anna Karenina is this, you've got this like big sweeping, passionate, ridiculous love story mm. um you know a, a, a silly choice silly choices that she makes and it's pitted against the sort of brewing of the Russian revolution mm. and the, the farmers um being poorly treated but the beauty of the landscape and some of that prose you're right it's thick and <laughs> quite hard to read but it's sort of that's part of the reason I love the book is because it's really rewarding because you have to work for it. And, and also it's like a doorstop. I mean, it's no war and peace, but it's pretty thick. Yeah, you but you really, I just think it's like loads of books within a book. Um, and they have Yeah, there this... are a lot of, but again, it's the same with, and again, I think this might be why I struggle with Russian literature. The books are quite long, but like you said, in, in the book, there's probably about, if you separate it out, you probably have five separate novels about different exactly. characters. Yeah. Yeah. So we say it's a dual narrative, but it's not really, is it? It's like all of these books, yeah. put, all of these stories put together. Um, and I think that's in general with a saga, however it's written, you have to do that because you, you're talking about a long period of time that mm. with lots of characters in it. I mean, I'm just, I've just said that, uh, I've just said that Leo Tolstoy writes sagas. So, you know, um, <laughs> that's quite hilarious. I think some people might disagree with that. I mean, um, he does love a long book. I'll give him that. He likes a long book. Yeah. But no, like I said, I think I really should make more of an effort with, with Russian literature. But again, you, you might sympathise with this, um, especially as you like a love story as well. They're just so depressing. I read them and like every other page someone's poor or gets their heart broken or you know their husband leaves them or they're having an affair or someone dies yeah. it's very sad yeah but then like I I'm sort of I sort of wonder about uplit because if you're always up then you where do you go up for you have to be down to get yeah. up right if you if you're always up there's no comparison in the down yeah, yeah. So I really think that we need the dark to, to soar into the light. And I do think that that is what Russian, 
you know, that's what Russian literature does do. I mean, I like Russian playwrights as well, mm -hmm. and that they do write just about depressed people yeah. <laughs> doing depressing things. But part of the reason it's good to read that is because you're like, the comparison to your own life, seeing other people make mistakes. Yeah, that's true. You not. No, I, I see that. Yeah, if I'm reading about the the peasants and the Russian Revolution, my life is probably pretty pretty great. Even on even on my worst day, pretty great compared to, compared to their lives. Yeah, yeah and is, I think I true. hope that's what he was trying to do. This hat, the well, he is definitely trying to do that. Always comparing these the privilege to the uh, the the people without privilege mm. and. And again, that's something that I am really interested to read about. In I, I like perspective in literature that helps me get more of a handle on what the world is yeah. um, and has been. Yeah. No, I, I completely get that. So of the five books you've chosen, do you have a favourite? Which one's the, the number one? I think it's Nights at the Circus. For okay. the reason that it's a bit detached from reality, it's the most allegorical, I would say, of mm. my choices. And I find that uh, that sort of like fairy tale story is easy to get lost in and then mm. easy to reflect. It, 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 it's so detached from reality, it almost makes um, reality, you, you, you reflect on your life more clearly. Yeah, I see that. Okay, well, great choice. So you've made it through the hard bit. Now we've got the easy bit of the five quick fire questions. So question number one, fiction or non-fiction? Fiction. Do you read any non-fiction? Uh, non-fiction, I've noticed all of your picks are fiction. Yeah, I do um, read non-fiction. I really enjoyed Rebecca Giggs' uh, Fathoms, The World Within the Whale uh, last year. It's the whale motif, I'm telling you. Yeah, but I, I mean, I obviously read that because I was writing about Wales. Um, but I do, yeah, I, I mean, I used to really like um, Bill Bryson <laughs> when I was younger, but I haven't read no, anything I that. I used to like his, because I, I love a good fun fact, and his books are just one fun fact after another. Yeah, and they're, they're, they're funny fun facts as well. But I suppose I haven't, I've read a lot of stuff like about uh, I'm really interested in the body so I have read books mm. about the body and I haven't read his um Bill Bill Bryson's The Body yet but oh, okay. I am much more a, a story yeah no I understand and I think people that people that tend to read books for escapism are much more fiction story than non-fiction but yeah like I said I can't get away from a fun fact so question number two <laughs> how many books do you have on the go at any one time only one only one and would you say you read one book a week one book a month I try to read one book a week but sometimes with the words that I'm putting down on paper and the words that I have to exchange mm. with my daughter I don't have the energy <laughs> to, you know it, it really depends even if the book's really good sometimes I want to meet her out as well so that I I, I can read it with energy because yeah. um, it is it and that's one of the brilliant things about reading is that it is a two-way um relationship mm, you have is. to bring energy to it you have to use your imagination it's not just about what the author gives you and you want to do something justice it's sort of like watching a film I don't know whilst doing something else if you mm. read while you're tired I think I mean while that is true and that's obviously books that you read you must also read to your daughter as well 
oh yeah that I can do without so yeah I do read those books and so they're probably about I mean we have 15 out from the library at the moment so I would What's have 16 books one? um she really likes the row row your boat one where you press the button and it sings row row your boat <laughs> which is uh, not not my kind of one. cheating I'm not gonna lie if the, the book yeah. sings I'm not sure it's a book <laughs> no but we uh I uh, whatever next by Jill Murphy we've got oh, that's just, a good one really have you good introduced movie. her to Dogger Dogger's my favorite oh no no you see I, I didn't really want, um, have Dogger I was much more of a mog girl but there you go oh, I love them both I love them both <laughs> I really disagree with this thing you have to be cats or dogs I'm like you can just love all animals that's fine. yeah me too I too uh, me too but I, I suppose as a child I was more into cats Mew. yeah so, so question number three what's your favorite place to read the bath I know it's controversial it's very reckless I would be that person <laughs> that dropped the book in the bath and you can guarantee it'd be a really expensive book that I borrowed off a friend and I'm like oh, for god's sake I really like I mean I obviously don't like a water stained kindle but I do like I like a book to look as though it's been read I mean which you can tell from my copy of <laughs> Captain Corelli um but I really like them to look as though they've been read I I don't I do have reverence for books, but really what my reverence is for what is what is within them. Mm. And so I suppose that's why I give away books quite easily. And I don't mind if the spine's broken because I like that they've lived with me for a bit or I've lived with them and I, I like it to look as though they've been read. I'm the same. I'm not precious about books the only reason I don't like getting them wet is because I had one where I did get it wet once and then I couldn't turn the pages and they got ripped and I just ruined it I don't mind them like, uh, with broken spines or looking a bit lived in a lot of mine have tea stains on um yeah I have a very bad tea drinking habit which I'm sure <laughs> my, I'm the butt of many jokes from my friends so question number four what's your what's your favorite independent bookshop oh that's a very hard one isn't it um <laughs> I mean, we don't like to play favourites, so you can name more than one. Okay, so I'm going to, so well, I'll name Toppings in Ely mm -hmm. because they've been amazing to me, but also it's just an absolute treasure trove. <laughs> like, really? it's just like, it's so, I mean, it's so beautiful in there, um, Topping and Co. And they do, they serve you coffee as well. I think they're still doing that now post pandemic, mm -hmm. but um, and they have a like this cabinet of first editions that oh my god amazing that's really good fun to just be like how much <laughs> oh my friend my friend her work this is a bit of a long comedy story my friend's work colleague bought his girlfriend a first edition of a book and I was like why do, what, you're such a terrible friend why didn't you set us up I mean <laughs> yeah. you could have done me a favor here <laughs> yeah um so uh, yeah I mean it's fascinating isn't it how quickly they I was like how often do you go in there to change the price because do they go down if an author does something bad or do they go up if, you know and oh, it's all true. about supply and demand yeah but, well yeah I suppose um, if an author no, has a resurgence it might go up in value yeah mm. so I think it's definitely worth hanging on to any I mean obviously uh, I probably won't be making any money from uh, my books <laughs> but <laughs> Um, if you are someone that looks after your books carefully, there is definitely a market for it. Then also, uh, there's a new bookshop near me called Not Just Books in Thetford, which is in just an over the border 
to Norfolk. And it's just run by Jane James, who is passionate about books. And she's just taken this little unit that has had, you know, that is in Thetford, which isn't a particularly, uh, you know, is is a town that has an amazing history, but the high street has sort of had issues over the last few years. And haven't they all? Yeah, of course. And but she's just really put this abs, all this energy and this these amazing that she's stocked it beautifully. It's got an amazing space for events and uh, for children's book. And she opened it during the pandemic in October last year. Oh, that's great because because the plan had been there already, and so mm-hmm. she followed through on the plan. Um, and it's great. So that's another one. And then also Storytellers Inc. in um, Lytham Sands, because I'm going there on Monday for uh, their book club. So, um, oh, yeah, that's, so that's exciting. That's okay. um, and it's going to be uh, my first night away <laughs> in <laughs> months and months and months. Um, and Katie there has been so supportive and also does a great thing like ordering books and giving away books um, when you know they do a pay it forward thing where someone will oh, buy a that's book. That's so nice. Yeah. yeah, that's really nice. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so final question of the whole podcast: What book are you most looking forward to reading next? Hmm. Oh, what a hard question, Phoebe! Well, I was really expecting good. you to say read Dogger to your daughter. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dogger. No, um, I. I've got a stack of books by Don't my wheel, bed. don't wheel. Um, I know, and some of them are proofs and some of them are books that I've heard about and I was really excited, that I'm really excited about. It's probably not what I'm going to get to immediately, but I've got Another Life by Jodie Chapman. Oh, and I, feel... I had, I had Jodie on this podcast a few weeks ago. And oh, oh, really? Yeah, she's a, a lovely lady, very eloquent, and I'm sure the book... Uh, well, so I've actually... Am I halfway through? Yeah, I think I'm halfway through. It's one of those ones where I started it and then work got crazy, so I need to pick it back up again. But yeah, I'm about halfway through. Yeah, great book. Yeah, I just think it has a lot of those things that I like about... Um, it's a love story, and but it's also Shocker. about... Yeah, I know. But it's also about, um, op, you know, the way that life can change in an instant and mm. second chances and all of that stuff. I um, I'm really excited to read that, yeah. Yeah, and I say this has really given away my worst habit of I will start a book, get halfway through, and then other things will happen, and I'll put it down, and then someone will ask me, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I've read it, and I'm like, wait a minute, I've read the first half, which is not the same as reading it, so I do need to go back and finish it. But yes, it was a, Jodie was a lovely guest, and it's a lovely book. Yeah, can I recommend enough. looking forward to it. <laughs> All right, thank you so much, Kate. I'll let you get back to uh, writing, playing with your daughter, reading her dogger, obviously. Thank you oh, so yeah, much that's, for coming I mean, on. That's, we'll get that from the library next week when we go, Phoebe, and we'll think of you. Yeah, so of course. You. The message should be patronise your local library because they need it. Oh, and what a great resource. Like, we haven't had access to it for the last 18 months apart from online. And they are incredible. I mean, it's like an absolute treasure trove for a book person. Um, Another reason. My mum always used to take um, me and my brother. So when we were very small, we lived in a small village where they had a, I can't remember what it was called, but essentially a library on a bus and it would like drive around. but now obviously we, we live in a in a bigger place so we have a natural library but that's always lovely oh yeah I think most people that love books have memories of going to libraries and I think it is one of the places that's that 
instills that love when you're a child this opportunity yeah, to choose the stories so yeah well thank you very much Kate I'll let you go on with your day thank you Phoebe thanks so much Thank you.